Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. We start tonight, the, the, the books in the Bible often, in chapter 1 of Luke, it'll, it'll have a simple instruction that starts out the purpose for the writings in the Bible. Um, had we not had the Bible, we would be into large confusion. There would be an onslaught of twistedness in our midst. But in Luke chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order. A lot of people have gathered information to be able to give an ordered narrative of those things which have been taking place among us. This is a manuscript and an illustration um, of the Spirit of God putting things in order uh, to describe what is taking place among us. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. Verse 2 there were people that, that participated in these, these inner workings of God's doings upon the earth and were eyewitnesses and servants of the word delivered to them. They received it and they pass it down. In verse 3, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding, having had good, uh, 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 a good presence of all things from the very first to write to you an orderly account, uh, most ex excellent Theophilus. So here it is, and um, I always consider and wonder what's going to take place in regards to that which we are passing down, what we have received and what we're passing down. What, 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 what role did Christians who were part of the church previous to us, how it played out? We already talked about Ephesus, the, the Ephesian church where Paul and Timothy are the founders and the leaders and the head pastors, and that today there is no expression of that church in the land of Turkey that's 98% Muslim. And Christianity is super persecuted in that country. And how does that happen? How does light turn into darkness? How do people let go and then allow other um, expressions of these things to take place. I was even talking to Pastor Rivera today, um, asking him, where were these understandings in our lives even 25 years ago? Why wasn't there a strong presence of teaching with respect to leadership in the life of a man and his family and his sons? Why, why are the majority of pastor's sons hate church after the age of 18? Why do they not want to go back to lead the cause of righteousness? One of the pioneers here in Miami uh, is La Catedral del Pueblo. And uh, the gentleman, Adi Beden, who was the founder of Christianity, you can say, in Miami in the 1970s. And he has one 
male son, and then he has like five daughters or four daughters. And why does the son not want to participate? Why is his mom, because the father died a good 20 years ago, and uh, why did the son not want to participate in church? Why is he not encouraged? Why didn't he have a surrounding of friends at youth group levels that would get on the same page to understand the heart of God for the house of God and understand the community and it finds it so inviting to depart the church and to set himself aside uh, seeking the, the treasures of this world. Why, why isn't he? And I, I met him a good five years ago and I said, I don't understand. I was hoping that you would, you would be a, a super prince in this community since your dad was a pioneer. He was the first amongst many men. Uh, but again, I think we should revisit these issues and, and let them take root in our hearts deeply. Find out what happened before us, what happened during our time, and what, what is it that we're passing down to our children with respect to the community at church, to the desire God wants to uh, put into order. And, and Luke seems to have... He says, I, I put all these things together and I have a clear understanding of how these things were started and now I'm writing to you orderly account of these matters. So I, I think that's a powerful um, manner in which to, to reflect tonight and say, what, 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 does the, what, what, what am I thinking about the church? What am I thinking about my participation of the church? What am I thinking about what I'm going to leave those that come behind me. And I'm going to tell you something right now. Because of, I said this in Texas, which is a very strong Christian state. I said, many of your churches will turn into Muslim mosques. And your children will convert to uh, Islam. Because your Christianity is so pathetic. It's so laid back. It's so comfortable. It's so, I'm not going to take a role. I'm not going to participate. I'm not going to stand my ground. I'm not going to stand my post. And so that will be sad. And, and I just, you know, before we get into making it a your family issue, make it a where you stand issue. Way before you get into how your marriage reflects the encouragement of the things of God, where do you stand personally? And how you're influencing those that you're a part of with respect to the local gathering. Um, I was just talking to a friend today. Um, he's, he's on his winded journey of uh, the third church. Meeting the third pastors. Coming to know the, the third marriage that, that he's going to attempt to work with. And, and there is no better place than where God places you. And, and Pastor Rivera was saying this on last Thursday. He says, do you know why you find yourself in the church? Because God has put you here. And God has a plan and a purpose to perfect you and to prepare you and to get you ready for his purpose. But we, we, start, we start perpetual wanderings. And so Bill Gother says, since we're not able to conform to the makings of God in our life, he has to guard, garter, uh, he has a, an illustration which shows the hand of a father with a mother holding the chisel and then a diamond being perfected through the church. 
And he says, because these elements of pressure and design and molding are not fit, you got to have a larger hammer and a larger chisel because it won't break easy. You need to have a greater source of the force of authority. So he says often in the life of a child, it's the army or it's prison or it's a place of, of harder uh, dealings from the Lord. And, and that's a systematic matter of, of God forming us. But let's, let's ask God, God put me into remembrance of these things. Give me a perfect understanding of how they were from the start and what is the order of them. What for? Verse Luke chapter 1 verse 4, it says that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instruction. That, that is the, the, the foundation, you could say, the hallmark of why God wants us to be well positioned. That you might know the certainty of those things which you were entrusted, that you were given to. My heart is, uh, as, as we have received from the Lord 30 years of incredible grace, and that has led us where we are now, that, that you also might be entrusted with that, that you might give it to someone else. That you might hand it off to another family, to supernatural workings of God in our lifetime. Um, I know for a fact that that was my concern with Yvette uh, with regards to our children that at the end of their raising and they're closely approaching 20 years of age, Nick being the oldest 19, um, that they would be solid men and that no one could tell them a story, that no one could subvert them um, it's going to be super hard-pressed for them to be discouraged. I'll tell you right now. There's, there's great many things that would discourage a man of God. But when you're raised and you're groomed and you're brought into these matters in this manner, um, it's going to be very hard to be shipwrecked in your faith. And so we thank God for, for this 20-year uh, journey in their life and see how they, they stand uh, wherever they're at and the conversations they have and they're not moved. They're not moved by this world's concerns and worries and they, they're grounded and rooted in their relationship with Christ and they love the church and they love uh, the community of believers and they love the work of God internationally uh, throughout the nations. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, of these things, put them in remembrance. Be diligent into showing yourself approved to God as a worker who is not need to be ashamed, who's not uh, finding it difficult to rightly divide the word of truth. Um, I was at WMCU the, or Life FM yesterday. I was talking to James Shepard, one of the a programmer's there, and he says, it's amazing. My seven-year-old daughter, uh, I told her five times not to go into the kitchen to eat food, and she went in there, and she got the food. And I said, what are you doing? She says, Dad, you have to have grace. You have to have grace. She's seven years old. And he said, no, honey, there's consequences when you do things that are wrong. And then she says, Dad, you're not to provoke me to anger. So she's seven years old and she knows all the scripture 
to be able to divert the dealings of God in our life. And I wonder how sophisticated we are. We were seven a long time ago. We were seven a long time ago, but we've become much too sophisticated and we're not rightly dividing the word of truth. My children, as they were growing up, they were eight, nine, and 10. And every time I would tell them, don't do something, they always had a great excuse why they had to do it. I said, you guys got to go in your room now and there's no water. And they said, yeah, but I forgot my homework in the counter, so I came back out. And so they always had a good excuse for rebellion and disobedience and defiance. And, and they were 8, 9, and 10, and I'll tell you what now. We're 30, 40, and 50, and we continue to have great justifications for our wickedness. And so Paul says to Timothy, put these things in remembrance so that you need not be ashamed, but you rightly divide the word of truth. Verse 15, study, meditate to show yourself approved. And he says, do not involve yourself in profane, um, that, that word profane comes from coming, going outside the boundaries. Shun profanity, idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. The more you water it down, the more you will have a watered down version. And, and I, I wonder often if we continue to make the measure of the boundaries all the more broader how we will lose our way. The Bible says it becomes like cancer that eats away. Verse 17. Their justification for what they do becomes like cancer. It spreads. It brings death. A, what's considered a culture of destruction. They don't know how far they have erred. Verse 18. Who's concerning the truth have erred and they're saying things about the resurrection and overthrow the faith of some, convincing others. Um, all, all the more as, as, as the church waters down what God has called it to do and, and who it's to be defined. Um, the work of arts that we do on our body to describe our experience with the Lord with tattoos, the 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 justification of relationships outside of God's order has become fascinating as we begin to describe it. But the Bible says clearly in verse 19, the foundation of God's is sure and it has this seal. The Lord knows those that who are his and those that are his will depart from iniquity. Everyone who names the name of the Lord. There is something special of walking in the attitude of God's heart for those that will decide to do so. Uh, I have already found that it is of no consequence to lead a people that do not want to be led, instruct a people that do not have an appetite for instruction, to encourage those that are bent on discouragement. And, and all it does, it continues to uh, create the chaos that we're seeing in our culture. The more uh, fathers that cease to be the patriarch in their home, patriarch one who leads by example, who is determined to please God above all things. As Paul says, if I were to please men, I could not please God. 
God has called me to draw a line. In 1 Corinthians 1.10, Paul is concerned about the church disseminating, disintegrating. And he pleads with them, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. This is, this is highly important, that we all be samely instructed, samely considered, samely meditated, samely resolved with these issues, and that there be no division among you, but that you be, be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, in order to do this, there has to be excellence of communication. Because that's how you can tell if people are on the same page. And for years, we have tried to be on the same page with those people who have a different heart. And it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. We should all declare where we stand and what, why we stand and how we will proceed so that those that want to come in agreement can do so and be united. And those who have a different heart or a distinct heart or a separated heart could go on their merry way and then see the fruits of their standing. And, and that's where I say, and boldly proclaim where they stand so that those that come after them don't fall off the cliff. If you're going to decide to go off the cliff, at least scream, yay, there's a cliff here. So that when you're lost, people don't go in that direction. But usually the destruction is one of we, we go off the cliff and we go, shh, 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 don't tell nobody, don't tell nobody. And so we have generations of people going off the cliff instead of standing and, 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 and waving a banner. I often tell the young girls here that are slightly rebellious that they would do good in talking with the elderly women that were rebellious in their young age and that they would be proponents of telling the young girls, girl, are you crazy? But these women won't stand up and tell their story. They will suffer in silence the destruction that has occasioned them. And to me, I invite them. I say, listen, there's about 40 women in our church and they decided for the first 40 years of their life to be super rebellious. Go talk to one of them. Because you would never want to take a step in that direction if you knew your destiny of destruction. You would never want to end up in that nightmare. So this is what needs to happen. A church that is called to be united and to be delivered from divisions and separation, but the Bible says perfectly joined together. Almost, almost like those three words are an oxymoron. Or you say perfectly, it doesn't exist. Joined, never. Together, ever. And that's what God is calling us to do. God is calling us to mature and join at that level. And to be joined together in the same mind, mind and in the same decision making. 1 Corinthians 1.10 in the same manner to slice the, 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 the line on the ground in the same format, having received the same training. It says there in, in the Amplified, perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And I, I, would, I would invite you tonight 
to turn all those words upside down and say imperfectly disunited, separated, all thinking different, making the, the opposite choices. That, that, that is chaos in essence. That's confusion. You can't leave that to the next generation. That's someone who talks to himself. Yes, I do. No, I don't. I agree. I won't. That's a crazy man. That's a, a disease. It does not cause for healthy body. But those that are trained and anointed, encouraged, and carry the same burden will bring about what the Lord wants the church to be. I want to go to the book of Acts chapter 2. And here the description of the church is so systematic at its finding, at its, as it originates. And it's described in chapter 1 verse 8 where the Bible says you shall receive power. And this, is, this has been my contention for a, a very long while. You shall receive power as the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And there we see, if you're taking notes tonight, that the first expression or description that describes what the church is, it's a powerful church. It's a church full of power. The expressions of everything weak is replaced by the strength and the presence of our God. As the Holy Spirit is upon us. We know when a city is devastated by a spirit of violence and the consequences of violence. We know when a city is, uh, is suffering the spirit of lewdness, lasciviousness, the lust of the flesh, like Las Vegas full of whorehouses and, and debauchery and all manner of dark living. So what, what is the expression of God's power in our midst? What, what, is, what are the fruits of the Holy Spirit? What is the evidence of that strength and power? I, I, I suggest to you that the Holy Spirit's power is one of bringing you to your own demise. How many say amen? The Holy Spirit is that presence which gets you out of the way. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love. And the opposite of love is selfishness. So I've never seen the expression of love uh, trying to keep a record of wrongs and thinking about himself and, and, and having contention and is not irritable. And so the power of the Spirit of God is one that fills us with the expressions of the fruit of the Spirit. And so the issue is not the circumstance. The issue is not the personality. The issue is not the situation. The issue is the absence of power. The absence of, and that's where he says, in 2 Timothy, I believe, he says, they profess to be strong, but they deny the power. 
These are the men in the last days professing themselves to be very spiritual, but then when contention and irritation arises, they can't get over it. Verse 5, 2 Timothy 3, 5, having the form of godliness, they say they're spiritual, but they deny the power. Have nothing to do with these people. That's what Paul tells Timothy. Don't come around people who do not walk in the power that's given to the church. And he says the reason why he gives this power of the Holy Spirit Because that is the only way and the evidence, verse 8, that you can be witnesses. You can can testify. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So that is the way that you might, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and in Miami. To the ends of the earth, Hawaii, wherever the end is. Hikileo. You ask yourself, are you extending the expression of the church of Jesus Christ from its most primitive formation in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is a church that receives power through the Holy Spirit to live a life that shows forth and manifests a character. I don't care where you go, and this is, I've said this before, you need to be able to be strong in the character of a believer's life as a member of the body of Christ, regardless of where you're at. And if you think, like my friend told me a couple of weeks ago, he says, I was a horrible drug addict, and so I left to Chicago, I went to New York, I was in Miami, I went to Key West, and guess what? Everywhere I went, I was there. He was saying he was the problem. So your issue is not the situations you can so detailedly describe of why you're not walking in the power and being a witness everywhere you are, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. So God wants there to be a powerful witnessing church. And then in Acts chapter 1 verse 14, he says, these all continued in one accord in prayer. Um, I find it difficult to believe you could be a Christian without praying. There is no way. There is no way. From the moment I open my eyes to the time I close my eyes, I'm saying, Lord, have mercy on me. I need your grace. I need your strength for another moment, for another meeting, for another conversation, for another confrontation. For another crossroads and transition. I'm prepared to go forward, Lord, but not without talking to you. I'm I'm prepared to do anything, but I need to be in communication. So the church is one that is in unity, praying, addressing themselves in one accord in prayer, says supplication. Uh, supplication has the word supply. Lord, you are my source. I don't need to go anywhere. I don't, I don't need to find anything. You are my, you deposit into my life. I look, look into your hand for my provision. And it is supernatural. Way, last night we were talking with a pastor from Cuba. 
And he's like, how, well, how did you get these things? I said, the same way you got your kidney. What do you mean? Yeah, how would you get your kidney? And he says, well, God gave it to me. Exactly. How much did it cost? You, nothing. How much does it cost to go find one? More than you'll ever have. So he is the God who supplies all my needs according to his riches and glory. And I'm satisfied. I don't have to be looking. And this, this, we're so grounded in the natural that when we talk about supply, we always think dollars and cents. And God is talking about something you could never buy. Like these men who, uh, we were talking about Larry Ellison who bought an island for $600 million. And that's a huge purchase. But when we landed in Honolulu, there was a boat at the marina that cost $300 million. So what, what it costs one man to buy an island, the other man goes and buys a little yacht for $300 million. And so we are all stressed out about what's missing or where it's at. But let me just tell you, the church knows where its supply comes from. And has such a relationship with God. And is not looking and is not, is not concerned about other matters. Because God is faithful. God is sufficient and glorious. And so that allows us to worship and not whine. W-H-I-N-E. Lord, give us a powerful church that has the character of showing others what it is to die to self. To have joy, to have peace, to have love, to be attractive the Bible says a stench of death to those who hate Jesus Christ, but a fragrance, a perfume to those who love Jesus. That we be attractive to those people that are in our lives and not unattractive. So a powerful witnessing praying church, and it says in that, in that power of prayer, and dying to self, um, lifting up supplication. Very important that that uh, power of prayer leads us to unity. Acts 1.14, they all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. There, what, one of the expressions there with all these gathered was unity. And if there's ever... If there's ever, the word devil means twice vile speaking, diablo, a separation, a, a distinction that allows us to continue disconnected. And every, every member of the body disconnected renders it death. And so prayer for unity, what does that mean? What is the expression of unity? What are the giftings? What are the, the things that, that connect the eyes with the mouth, with the ears, with the nose, with the hands, with the feet? That's one of the things that Jesus says would cause the whole world to see in our unity and in our love. We, people would witness a power working. I have had conversations in the last three months with people that would never... Listen to me very clearly. This is why we have to greet each other with high fives 
and grand choruses of you're the most amazing person upon the earth. Why? Because the conversations I've had with people the last six months have, I will never join the church because I'm not interested in caring about anybody. Sufficient to care for myself. Because if I go to church, I'm going to run into people that have needs. And I don't want to be in a place where I have to meet others' needs. So that's why when we gather together, every single person that walks in the house of God needs to be celebrated greater than any athletic basketball champion. Because we have decided that we would be our brother's keeper. We would concern ourselves with the orphans and the widows and the needy. And this is what the church stands for. We do care about family and its demise. Yesterday I was looking at Michael Brown was on a show. There was two women that were saying, let a six-year-old decide if he wants to be transgender. If he's five years old and wants to be a little girl who wants to turn into a boy, let him. Let them cut off his members and let him be a little girl at five. And so my friend Michael Brown was there. He was saying, are you crazy? Are you crazy? So some of us will have to stand up in our generation and say something's not right. And so this power of unity is our concern to decide that we're not into taking care of ourselves anymore. We're going to extend our concern about others. That's one of the things that blew away this poker player. He says, Joaquin, I sit at a table with nine people and I take all their money. I don't understand how you left your law practice. I don't understand how you did that. And that's the only reason I'll sit down with you and listen to you even though I'm of Jewish descent. Because there's a power greater working in you than what's working in me. There's something supernatural. That you're not living for yourself. That you could have taken off years ago and had your own best life. And you walk away from that. What is going on? What is that? What's your concern? And so it's the church. Unified in prayer, in power, in witnessing, manifesting the power of God's spirit. I was always recalling an uncle of mine that came from Cuba and he came to my father's house and said, you know, I just got back from 40 years in Cuba. I have nothing. My dad says, okay, here's a check for $5,000. And gave him a check. And that man got in a fight and an argument with my father and says, you could have given me more. You could have given me more. And say, the person that wants to receive is not satisfied in a carnal spirit. Because he's eating other people's cookies and he thinks they're his. I mean, remember that, right? At the airport. Isn't it amazing? And so the church is one that is walking distinctly in a power of God's spirit. If we read Acts chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all united in one place. Isn't that powerful? In that unity, the Bible says, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues of fire, and one sat on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
So this was a spirit-filled church. Some people are concerned about whether the spirit moves or doesn't move. I'm going to tell you something. I am so saturated by the spirit of God. So saturated by the spirit of God, it feels super good. Super good to have the spirit of God in your life. It will, it will repel demons from your life. There is no attitude and depressive state and any sentiment of evil when the spirit of God has filled your life. It's like a, one that lights a torch or a lamp. There is no darkness. In Acts chapter 2, 2 verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. As he's giving an expression to others what they are experiencing. One of the things that, that I'm really cut to the heart with. I'm really cut to the heart with what was going on in the lives of these men. Prior to this, in verse 7, when they heard what was going on, chapter 2, verse 7, on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down, they says, they were all amazed and marveled, saying and looking, uh, aren't these speaking Galilean? And how is it that we hear each in their own language? And so they're, they're witnessing an experience. And what could this mean? And as they're inquiring to these matters, Peter, and, and this is what I, I, I feel from the Lord, that, that it should be our reality. When he begins to explain to them what's going on, they turn around and they, they say, let me ask you a question. I'm going to find it right here. The Bible says they were cut to the heart after Peter spoke to them. And they they had an expression in verse 37. Acts 2.37. When they heard Peter's discourse, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men... And brethren, what shall we do? Um, I want to know how deep the layer is in your heart before you come to terms to say, I didn't know I was so off course. What can I do to get back on course? Our generation needs to hear something so sharp And so deep within their hearts for them to respond and to wake up out of their stupor, to disconnect from the trance of this world, to say, how, now that we've heard from God, how are we supposed to respond? I think that that is evidence of hearing from God. Uh, The layers of justification, the layers of reasoning, the layers of, of, of posing and posturing are all great until you say, you know something, I'm wrong and I want to get right. Amen. I want to start more moving in the direction of God. 
I don't know what it's going to take for us to get there. I just pray that God moves powerfully in the spirit realm to get us to the place of forgetting, making others the issue and corresponding to woe is me. I'm off course. I need to be a champion of God because of his grace on my life, because of his spirit that has moved, because of his love and his mercy that is, that is evident. And then he goes on to say as they, as they were spirit-filled, the first thing that happened in verse 42 is that they decided that they would line up with steadfastly, stand strong, not, not hang loose, steadfastly continue in the doctrine of the apostles. I, I love that first part because th there is an instruction, there is commandment, there is uh, correction in that regard. But the second one is in fellowship. And if I were to grade some of you on fellowship, you get an F for fellowship. There is no fellowship. There is no continuing in the connection with the body of Christ. You're like the goat. When were you naked and I didn't clothe you? When were you hungry and I didn't feed you? When were you whatever and I wasn't present? We need to be connected. That, that, that word, I want you to separate doctrine, which is biblical teaching. A lot of you are great theologians. You're horrible fellowshippers. You're horrible fellowshippers. You're not connected. You're not, you're not contributing to family. If the words that you spoke in silence were given from the pulpit, the church would fall apart in an instant. We need to be careful. Fellowship, the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper. One, one of our things here at the church that we need to increase, I'll tell you, because it's our fellowship, is that you see the empty chairs on the Lord's table. The night we celebrate the Lord's table, the church is empty. And that's because on Sunday, you didn't tell somebody, I'll see you so we can break bread together on Wednesday. You're here, you're breaking bread, but you haven't shared that influence so that the house of God would be together united. Why? Because it brings most glory to God. He died. He, his body was broken that we would be united. And if we can't communicate in our unity with the brethren that come here on Sunday, many of them are new. They don't even know. But you're the course to be able to tell them. You say, you know, so I really want to break bread with you. I'll see you there on Wednesday. You should going to be there. I'm going to be going to break bread. And you, you get into sharing what we most celebrate, which this is the expression of our victory in the Lord. His body and blood broken for you and me. The seal, the deposit, the proof of his victory. This is our game day once a month. First Wednesday of the month where we share the Lord's table. And I was rejoicing today that I do not share in demons feast. That I don't sit. I love when my son says, I have nothing to go to sit down with any demons to share anything they have to offer. Love that. Love that heritage we have. I'll be here every Lord's Supper celebrating the goodness and faithfulness of God who's allowed us to sit at his table. And, and, and it's going to be horrific to be sidestepped in that regard. So they continue steadfastly in instruction. Word, teaching, fellowship, a church that breaks bread together, prays together. 
The Bible says a church that became reverent in verse 43 as the signs and wonder moved amongst the body of Christ, the fear of God came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. I love, I love the expression of miracles. Maybe we could get up here and start sharing on miracles and we're going to be blown away what God has done in our midst. It becomes so commonplace among us that we don't even celebrate it anymore. We had men here that raised from the dead five times over. And, and it was walking in our midst. We called them Lazarus. As God just kept on bringing them back from the edge of death. And it's walking among us. We're like normal. And so it's important that we see the power of God working and, and to be able to tell the world to come here to see what God will do for them. A reverent church, a respectful church. We've, we've, we, we have lost the sense of miracles to the degree we have become commonplace. Let it never be that you find yourself comfortable. This is an awesome place. A place of awe, a place of marvel, how God moves. And I've taught my children as they were little, I said, don't play with the things of God. Don't let them become commonplace. Because when they became so familiar with Jesus Christ, he could not perform any miracles. Oh, isn't that Jesus, the carpenter's son? Isn't his sisters with us? Don't we know his mom and dad, Joseph and Mary? Then they lived down the street. And the Bible says because they became so familiar, hey, day, how you doing? And he could perform no miracles. So our reverence and respect allows for miracles to break loose in our, in our midst. A church of power. Um, we, we can do this just as a matter of evidence, uh, proof. We can sit there and, and just fill that wall with all the supernatural things that have taken place. Now, I'll tell you, one of the biggest ones is that we fellowship here every month. I have this building. When I see pastors come from other countries and they're like, wow, you guys have a nice place. I go, I know. I know. Because it's a miracle. It's the goodness of God. I remember growing up as a young Christian, 15, 16, 17 years old. I was like, man, how do we get out of this dreadful place? That place compared to this place is night and day. Our kids have grown up in a wonderful place. And I just pray for their kids they have even a more wonderful place. That they might have evidence of the glories of God. The faithfulness of our God is one that gives us reverence to see miracles. A church that, that is able to conform. In verse 8. Uh, I'm sorry, not verse 8. Verse 44. Acts 2.44. Um, now all who believed were together. They were in this unity, and they had all things in common, sold their belongings and their goods, and divided them amongst all, and as anyone had need. And so we have seen this in, in ways that people do not believe in this house. We have seen the supernatural provisions of God. Um, I, I love to see every school year as the girls pass down all the uniforms from one year to another, down to another. Passing down shoe sizes, hey, my 10-year-old my is now 12, your 10-year-old here, he can have his shoes. And, and we live in common, common unity in expressions of sharing together, giving away cars, 
That's unheard of in our generation. You just find out how many cars you've given away in your lifetime. I can tell you that it's been a greatest joy to be able to give cars and boats and provisions and be generous and be known by generosity. Why? Because the Spirit of God flows. The Spirit of God flows in our lives through His grace. I remember that I was practicing law many years ago and I had a, a, a client who was a jeweler at Mayer's and he says, you know something, my wife and I are super happy and we want to give you guys a set of wedding rings. And I said, well, you missed it because I got married three years ago. And, but he gave me a beautiful set of wedding rings and, and Javi and, and Francis were getting married. I said, hey guys, we got your rings for you. And he just passed it on to them. It's, it's just a glory of God to be able to be used as a fountain of his grace and bless those that are around us. And so it goes on to say they shared their possessions and they divided them amongst them all as anyone was needed. In verse 44, 45, it says not only were they a sharing church, um, but I have written here, let's go to verse... Acts 2.46, they were gathering together, the Bible says, continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate with gladness and simplicity of heart. The greatest riches I believe that the body of Christ has is one another. I've said this for years, that the wealth of our relationships far exceed I had a, a man tell me, well, my father-in-law bought a $50 million yacht. And I said, listen, you can go and tell that story somewhere else because I know your father-in-law and he's the most miserable man upon the planet earth because he doesn't have one friend. He, doesn't, he might have wealth and provision, but he has no relationships and the Bible says the greatest of all these things is to be able to relate to God and to relate to one another, to be connected. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, not only were they together and breaking bread from house to house, eating their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, sharing meals, they praised God. And this giving them favor, supernatural favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were to be saved. Uh, one of the greatest joys I have is seeing new people come to the house of the Lord. The expectation and potential of those that surrender their hearts, even as that friend of mine from 30 years ago yesterday says, I want to join and be around people like you. And I was like, yes, sir. And you're a prince of God. And the devil has wanted you to be a prince of Satan. God has wanted you to be known by, by your destruction. And God wants to bless you. When I met the poker player in Hawaii, he says, look at the millions I've made playing poker. I said, that's just because the devil doesn't want you to get what God wants to give you, to be known as a prince upon the earth. He's, he's giving you the glory of the kingdoms of this earth, but he's going to take them away. But what God gives you sustains you forever. 
And God's blessing does not add sorrow with it. So Acts chapter 2 verse 47 said they praised God. They had favor with people. They were attractive. They were able to walk in a manner that was allowing people to want to be a part of their life. I wish and I pray that the coming days for you would be one that your life and that huge frown on your face would turn upside down so that people might delight and see you delighting in your God. They might run with you to the house of the Lord and might be able to raise their hands and rejoice and praise God and not sit in a manner which is super unattractive. Let's ask the ushers to come forward. As we have gone through this journey of understanding what world-changing community is all about, I pray that you would just consider once again and say, Lord, let me be connected to the vine. You are the vine, I'm the branches. Without you, I can bear no fruit. I'm unfruitful. I don't have any expression of the life of God in me. I'm not standing strong, steadfast as your as your prince. You have done wonderful things. The Bible says, he who has been forgiven much, loves much. And when I begin to contemplate where I was before I came to the Lord, let's ask the worship team to come forward too. When I start contemplating where I was before I came to Christ, I'm not worthy to be standing here right now. I'm not, I'm not, I have no, merit in, in being able to participate with his mercy and grace upon my life. The Bible says that the cares of this life choke the seed, choke the the life of God, the cares of this life, the worries, the concerns. And that's why Jesus says, cast your cares upon me. Cast those things that are heavy laden. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. The expressions of joy and peace, the satisfaction of, of seeing the, the work of God increase. And this earth continues to fall short in its promises. This earth has no promise. Father, we thank you today for this table. We give you thanks, O oh God, for provisions that come from the heaven, and they're not for everyone. They're for those who gather and assemble as your church. Those that honor this table, those that live in conformity with your judgment, with your grace, with your mercy. We pray, Father God, that we would be transformed today and cut to the heart and have the expression, what should we do? What can we do? You've already reached us in our self-sufficiency, in our pride, in our arrogance. We're cut to the heart through the word of God, which is a double-edged sword. We sit at the table and ask, Forgive us, Lord. Have mercy upon us, O oh God. Do not cast us away. 
Do not take away the joy of our salvation. Do not let us be robbed of the riches of your glorious grace. Allow us to be crowned with favor. Allow us to be crowned with your love and embrace. Allow us to be called by your name. Allow us to walk praising and glorifying your name. Join with the teaching and instruction of the apostles. Joined, Father God, by the fellowship of those who love your presence. We pray, O oh God, that you forgive us, Lord, that you heal us, and that we might partake of this victory table, this celebration, in the glorious way, O oh God, and that our unity would be known as we share, O oh God, amongst one another what you're doing in our lives and raise us up in this generation as a light and a salt of the earth. Make us, O oh God, Make us your people. Allow us to connect in community, O oh God. And to safeguard against division. Against the powerlessness to walk outside of your spirit. Let us be your witnesses, O oh God, in all the earth. Bless these elements. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. As they pass out the elements, the Lord says...